The Bible is full of colorful characters that many of us learned about as children. But there's a lot that sing-alongs and felt boards can't really teach us about these characters. After all, these are people that really lived and died. People that really failed and triumphed, learned and listened, doubted and believed. Let's dig into these stories together, trusting that they've been passed down to us for the same reason these ancient people lived through them, to develop some character of our own. Good morning. I'm Erin. Uh, I'm an owner here at Element. And first I want to give a shout out to all of our awesome e-kids and youth that are in the room. Can you give us a little like, woo-woo, raise the roof? No, that's not cool. What do you do? Emery's like, shh, just stop talking. <laughs> okay, so kids, the reason I'm giving you a shout out is because I want to start with you today. I have a question. I would like to know, by raising your hands, and I'll ask a few people, uh, what is your, who is your favorite Bible character? Judah. King David. All of them, except the bad ones. Who's a bad one? I want to know. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't like him. Okay, anybody else? Killian. Samson. I think we heard about him in this series, didn't we? Anybody else? Any adults who really love some character that you need to say out loud? No? Okay. Well, once upon a time, I was being interviewed by a Christian organization that shall remain nameless, and I was volunteering, I was going to volunteer with them, and so there was an interview, and they asked me this question. They said, who is your favorite Bible character, just like I asked you? And I thought about it for like two seconds, and I said, Jesus. And the interviewer like gave a little chuckle and said, you can't choose Jesus. <laughs> and he said, who else would you say? And I was like, who wants to be the guy who says like, you can't choose Jesus? Like, I feel like that's not allowed. <laughs> so, um, the point of the interview question was, I suppose, I mean, I assume that they wanted to know that you were like a for real Christian. So you knew like more about the Bible because you knew characters and could tell things about them besides Jesus. Uh, and so I, you know, but I answered honestly because they asked me and Jesus is my genuine, like real favorite character. So anyway. I share that story because when thinking about this character series, I wanted to speak about Jesus. And I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I pondered, and I looked for other, like, I really, truly tried to look for other characters that I would rather, like, did God have something for me to say about someone else? Nope. He just wanted me to talk about Jesus. So, in my very rebellious nature, I read a book that told me I'm a rebel. Um, I'm, like, the most straight-edged rebel ever, but... Um, I'm going to rebel against this character series that I don't think really has rules, but I'm going to talk about my favorite character, who is Jesus. Is that okay with you? All right, so my people from track, I don't know. I didn't prepare them for this. Track people, what's the reason? Like, why, why, is, why is it totally cool? Because Jesus, that's right. We came up with that at camp. So anytime anybody asks you something and you don't have any other good answer, just say because Jesus and that works. All right. So what about Jesus? We talk about 
the one true narrative at this church all the time. We talk about the one Jesus. So why was I stuck on talking about him? Well, because in my life recently, and I think in the lives of many people I love in this church, we have been in stages of life where waiting has been required. And in this waiting, for different things that vary greatly in degrees of seriousness, it hit me that we talk about Jesus and what he did from 30 to 33, and we talk about what he did after 33 a lot, but what about the waiting he had to endure before his gospel ministry began officially in his 30s? I want to talk about the Jesus that waited. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but waiting is not something I'm good at. I actually fantastically suck at it. So <laughs> I am one of those people that once my mind is made up, it's go time. If I'm being super honest, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to let it play out. I don't want to pray about it or give it to God. I just want to take action and make the move and embrace the change and jump right in. So some of you are just like that, and some of you are the exact opposite, and I admire you very much. I wish I could be like that sometimes. But what about Jesus? How did he wait? What do we know about his character in the waiting? What does he tell us in Scripture about waiting, and how can we be more like Jesus in the waiting? Well, to start, it's interesting to me that we have exactly one story of, of what I'm calling kid Jesus, okay? And there's in one story only. Like, we see him born as a baby in Bethlehem, and then, like a movie fast-forwarding, we see him at 12 years old doing something that seems a little bit peculiar. So we're going to read about kid Jesus in Luke 2, 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, that's a long time, parents. I mean, like, I feel like we'd have a heart attack by then. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And I read that astonished there does not mean like they were like, oh, look at our little boy. They were like surprised that he just, you know, peaced out on them. So his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, so... The first thing I want to ask Jesus is, like, at 12 years old, were you thinking that you just had to, like, let off some, like, holy steam? Like, you know, you were itching to get out there and, like, flex your almighty muscles? Um, were you really caught up in this desire to go and hang out at your father's house that it kind of slipped your mind to tell your earthly parents where you were going and give them a heads up? I mean, it's kind of like Home Alone, except Kevin was forgotten, and Jesus seems to just have, like, snucked out of the 
co snuck out of the covered wagon or the donkey pack or uh, whatever they had. I don't know. Uh, and so kids, don't try this at home. I'm not recommending that you sneak out of the covered wagon or the donkey pack, okay? You got it, Titus? Yeah? Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad because you're a good boy. All right. So I'm not a Bible scholar, but I wonder if we see a little boy savior itching to do his thing, even though it wasn't quite the time yet. And just as a side note, is Jesus like messing with his parents in a playful way? I mean, he's all knowing, right? So didn't he know that they didn't know where he was? But that's another debate for another time. So in verse 51, we get another glimpse into what Jesus spent his time doing in the waiting. He was obedient to his earthly parents and went down to Nazareth, Nazareth with them. I love this because while I don't like waiting, I believe that there is something to be said for obedience in the waiting. My dear friend Lauren Smith, some of you met her at camp, is a mother of 20, and 15 of those 20 are adopted as tough teens out of foster care. She likes to th say that she doesn't have to be ready or wanting to do the Lord's work. She just has to be faithful. Obedience to God and to the agreements we have made on this earth, to our parents, to our children, to our spouses, to our employers, to our friends, to our pets, wherever our responsibilities and our uh, allegiances, our commitments and our choices have landed us, even if we are waiting, we can still be obedient and faithful to the Lord in how we wait there. That last verse says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. And if Jesus took the time to grow in wisdom before executing his ministry, then I think we can too. I run a ministry, and it is a three-and-a-half-year-old ministry. And sometimes in this ministry, I want to jump off the very slow Grow Into Foundation wagon train and go find somewhere to sit comfortably and share my life coaching and mentoring skills with a population where I wouldn't have to work so hard. I could have become a corporate life coach, uh, a coach solely devoted to career transitions, or a college-bound teens life coach, any number of specialized niches where I could make some money and get some recognition and spread my knowledge. But instead, I have quietly been growing in wisdom. And that wisdom looks like this. How to treat trauma teens where they are at. How to resist the temptations to codependently enable them. How to manage nonprofit budgets when there are no funds to budget. How to balance what the teens need and all the other needs of the foundation. Wisdom in this hasn't been a switch by any means. It's a seed. It is something that I can't snap my fingers and have more of. It grows by being watered with my waiting and watching and hoping and praying. Going back to the place in verse 52 where it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. The word stature might at first glance when we're referring to a 12-year-old boy might seem like it's talking about his physical growth. But here, that word is talking about maturity. We no longer live in a society that values the maturation time it takes to grow into something. We want instant gratification. We want to know it all now, to get that razor promotion now, to have that kind of car or house now. I'm sure that if you compared what you have at your age to what your parents had at your age, and especially to what their parents had at your age, it would be mind-blowing. 
keeping up with the Joneses isn't just a funny phrase that we talk about the rich neighborhood, you know, in Cali. It's uh, kind of what we all accidentally strive for, either consciously or unconsciously. I enjoy that from 12 to 30, Jesus' life isn't given in a play-by-play in the Bible as if it were his Instagram. I think there is something to be said for the unaccounted for, where the most perfect, flawless human just had to wait to grow in wisdom and stature to become. There's comfort in knowing that I can wait and grow in stature and wisdom to become as well. This week, I start back to teaching for the first time in five years. I haven't really publicly announced it on social media or anything because it's my fear that people will think that Growing to is retracting or folding or isn't doing well or isn't growing. And none of those are actually true. It's quite the opposite. But the truth is that Growing to Foundation needs me to become, um, it needs to become something other than just me. It needs room to grow in wisdom and stature. And I can't rush that. I can't force that. I can't move that along any faster than the Lord sees fit. And so I need to wait on God. I need to let some of the praise I could continue to get by devoting my life solely to that work go in order to make room for the foundation to grow in ways um, it can't if it continues to be just me, me, and only me. A few weeks ago... um, so many of our interwoven stories in this like lovely tapestry church were at the forefront of my mind. And then this verse came up on my daily scripture app. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer our making prayer of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. July has been one of those big, giant waiting sessions. Several things in my life were lining up unintentionally to happen within the last two weeks of the month. So I'm going to, like, list it up for you, okay? Everybody knows track. 40-plus volunteers serving 32 campers with traumatic backgrounds happened just two weeks ago. A transition of one of the Oak House boys to go to college and play ball in in Tallahassee also happened the same week as camp. A difficult conversation with one of the people I love the most on the earth was waiting to be had this week. A transition back to teaching as a second full-time job on top of my already full-time nonprofit life was about to commence at the end of the month. Decisions that affect the health and well-being of my own children were hanging in the balance. Financial decisions that open doors and tie up loose ends and get things on track were needing to be assessed and determined. And people I love dearly were waiting on decisions about adoptions and relationships and placements and sentencings and health health scares and illnesses and life-altering transitions. There have been so many things to like hurry up and then wait about. And so many things that needed to be decided, but first I had to like find and schedule time to have 20 different conversations before that thing could even be decided. And 
things I have tried to throw out there in prayer to God, I find myself wondering if it got lost in the mail or if I, you know, shoving a cheeseburger in my mouth while I said the prayer in the car between visits is not really, you know, earnest enough. I don't know. So sometimes all I have are sighs and sometimes all I have are groans. And sometimes slipping out the back of the covered wagon and just going and doing my thing feels like the best idea. And then sometimes taking the time to be faithful and obedient to allow the wisdom to grow inside of me feels like the way. I don't think that God is mad at us for whatever way we wait. Maybe there are more Jesus-like ways, but I'm thankful for the places where God tells us that sighs and groans are okay too. And once more, we go back to that last phrase in Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. To me, this phrase is inspiring. It gets me out of the waiting place and gives me a purpose far greater than just waiting around for things to work out in my timing or my favor. To spend years like Jesus did growing in favor with God and man, that sounds exciting to me. Like, something worth living for. Not so I can be God's favorite, even though I am. And children, you are too. We all are. Um, but certainly not so that I can be God's favorite person or I can be a person's favorite person because I've been there and done that and that pedestal doesn't ever last as long as we would like it to. But to turn myself outward and look for ways to find favor because I serve, because I love, because I'm kind, because I care. That sounds like something I can do with my time wisely while I am waiting. Before we wrap up and the band comes up, uh, there's one more step I want us to take in looking at how Jesus waited. We see that we went into that temple that we see that he went into that temple and gave a little foreshadowing of his glory. But what if we think about this? Jesus hadn't just waited 12 years at that point. Because in the beginning was the word. That's Jesus, kids. And the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus was waiting longer than just 12 years. More like since the beginning of time. And let's just take a second to acknowledge what Jesus was waiting for. He was waiting to die a brutal death for a bunch of sins that he didn't commit, that his creation committed. So he knew the end game since the beginning. And he sighed about it and groaned over it, even to the point of sweating blood. But he was obedient and he was faithful. So what are you waiting on? What is it in your life that you are sighing about and groaning over? What is your list of things that are still in the becoming stages? What is that thing in your future that you know you must do to be obedient and faithful, even if it hurts a little or a lot? What are areas of your life that you uh, feel are a hurry-up-and-wait mode? And what can you do to allow those areas to morph into a growing of wisdom and stature while you wait? For Job... It was the decimation of all he knew and loved, only to receive a new version tenfold. For Moses, it was the promised land that he would never see for himself. For Paul, it was the gospel spreading 
whether with or without him, because literally he was sitting in jail, sometimes just waiting. For Joseph, it was going through a litany of unwarranted punishments to eventually fall into favor with Pharaoh, becoming second in command and lavishing mercy on all the ones that had initiated his pain and suffering in the first place. And for Abraham, it was waiting for that heir he was promised. I could go on and on with all the examples of so many people in the Bible that waited, and I could have chosen any of those people to talk about. And as I look around this room, I know that so many of us are waiting. Some of us are waiting, and it's public, and people know about it. And some of us are suffering in deep, dark places of our soul that only God can see. Band, you can come up. But let's look at the end of Romans 8.26 again. We have this assurance that Jesus waited too. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. We can rest assured that Jesus actually knows that the same waiting feeling, that same one that we feel as a human that's visceral and physical, that he knows that waiting feeling too. Even when our nature might tempt us otherwise, even though our personality or upbringing might sway us to go now and do, let's remember together by the example of Jesus that waiting is good, waiting is wisdom, waiting is growing in stature, waiting is obedient, waiting is faithful, waiting is being like Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, this is a church of people that are so aware and conscious about who they are and how you made them. But God, I just pray that in these moments where big life changes are happening and we are trying to figure out when to move and when to stop and when to be still and all of those things, God, I pray that you would help us not look to our nature, but to look to you. To look at the example of you as a little boy who grew in maturity and grew in wisdom. God, that we would see that as a valuable exercise in our own lives. That we would allow you to be with us in the waiting that we would know that you hear our sighs and our groans, that you feel truly from your human experience what it's like to be in that place of waiting. Thank you. And please have this message be whatever it needs to be for wherever people are at, whatever it is in their life that they're anticipating maybe in an excited way or maybe in a feeling of dread. God, we know that you are with us and that you are good and that in the waiting that we can be blessed. In your name I pray.